left field. Lillian races back to the warning track. Makes the catch with Cowboys Sooners for the 13th straight season. The Sooners are headed to the Super Regionals. It's the longest streak in college softball as OU expands the longest winning streak in college softball to 46 straight games. just don't think that Oklahoma is going to be the team that hits 80 bajillion home runs. They may hit 50 bajillion, but I don't think they're going to be the big, bad Oklahoma Sooners that they've been. And they stay there. And they stay there. And they stay there. I don't know, Jen. Felt like, oh, you hit 80 bajillion home runs in just the first inning yesterday against Cal. Whoa. Domination. This weekend for number one ranked OU softball. There were a lot of teams across the country this weekend that had trouble in their regional. UCLA, the number two overall seed, see ya. They went two and Q. Uh, Arkansas is out. Bama escaped. Washington escaped. But you know who had an easy time this weekend and who looked like the number one overall team in the country? That's right. It's your Oklahoma softball team. They went at 11-0, 11-0, and then 16-3 on Sunday, and uh, wow, just just complete domination. Felt like everyone in the order hit a home run yesterday. Tiare Jennings hit a bomb in her first two at-bats. Look, I I don't necessarily want to speak for Patty Gasso here, uh, Parker Thune, but I got to think she feels pretty good about – where her team is currently trending heading into a Super Regional. They <laughs> well, are playing some real good softball. Well, how can you not, especially with UCLA now out of the picture, Tyler? I mean, this yeah. is – when you think about how many dominant teams Patty Gasso has had over the years and over the decades at the University of Oklahoma and then consider that sans Jocelyn Allo, like in a year where this program was tasked with replacing the production that Jocelyn Allo left behind – this might be the most dominant team that has ever graced the field at Marita Hines. It's unbelievable what they're accomplishing and continue to accomplish. Yeah, so this program for the past few years has, they've been equipped with a knockout haymaker in the first round. And last year they could score, what did they score, nine runs in the first inning against Texas A&M in a regional that was a knockout haymaker. Like, A&M's done after the first inning. Like, first inning isn't even over with. And A&M, they already know that they've lost the game. Like, same thing yesterday. With the elite pitching staff that they have that has a sub-1 ERA as a team, if OU goes out and scores six runs in the first inning and hits, like, four home runs, Cal knew the game was over before they even got in the dugout in their first opportunity to, to hit in the bottom of the first inning. Like, they have a real knockout potential and they did it yesterday against Cal. So, look, I we'll, we'll see if OU has uh, any as easy of a time against Clemson as they did this past weekend. Clemson's a good softball team. That's going to be pretty difficult. But how you would hope that OU is trending right now, heading into a super regional, like this is where exactly where you want them to be. They're pitching well. They're hitting well defensively. They're awesome. Jada robs another home run. This is. Patty said before the postseason, this team still hasn't peaked yet, which I was like, whoa, I want to see what peaking looks like for this team. 
I don't know if that was peaking this weekend in the regional, but it looked pretty close. Paul. Well, and if that is peaking, Tyler, then nobody's going to touch them no, throughout the no. remainder of this college softball season. And also, uh, shout out to Patty and her squad for just continuing to roll because it gives us a very easy and very good excuse not to have to talk about Zadavian Sims and all the recruiting <laughs> drama from this weekend. Like uh. we get, We got some good news amidst it all here. OU was a plus 35 this weekend. Uh, no other team in college softball was like, you know, within eight runs of that, a plus 35 in three games this weekend. It was complete domination, and OU looked like the best team this weekend. I, I know that that's not a shocker. We probably would have predicted that going into it. But well, Jen Schroeder wouldn't have. She wouldn't have, yeah. Not the big, big bad Oklahoma they've been previously. Well, Jen, they're one win away from tying the all-time uh, wins record or consecutive wins rec- record in all of college softball. They are the big, bad Oklahoma that they've been previously. They look like the best team this weekend, and honestly, it didn't look like, like – if you watch this weekend, and again, you, you see some hot teams right now. There's some really good softball teams out there, and it doesn't in any way guarantee that OU is going to win a title, but just how things currently sit right now – it doesn't look like there's a team really all that close to OU at this point. No. The recruiting doomer on the text line says, thank you, Patty Gasso, for helping my mental health. And how, <laughs> like, how nice is it, Tyler, just to be able to have a Sooner program like this? You just you know what the outcome is going to be. You show up to the ballpark or you flip on your TV, you know this team's going to take care of business day in and day out and not even give you anything to sweat about, let alone complain about. Uh, there's only one word to describe this team, says the texture of the 918. Unfair. Uh, true. Brian in Tulsa says, now, Tyler, I know how much you love Missouri, but how big were you smiling when the Tigers got run-ruled? Brian knows that I hate Missouri, and I actually got trashed a little bit on the uh, text line on Friday. Really? For saying that, yeah, I, I, uh, I had the hot take <laughs> that not many agreed with that I hoped OU would face Missouri on Sunday in the regional <laughs> championship just because I, I got I got free tickets yesterday from my buddy uh, Terry Price, OU softball home run tracker. appreciate him. I just wanted to see OU destroy Missouri in person. Now, I will say it was awesome seeing OU destroy Cal in person yesterday. I had a great time. But there was a part of me, Parker, that wanted to see Missouri win a couple games so I could you know, see that with my own eyes. And some people did not love that take. From the 918 on the text line. Hang on, guys. Jen's right. They're not the big, bad Oklahoma they've been previously. They're bigger and badder. Yeah, well, in the circle, they I think that they probably are. Jeez, you got three aces and a true freshman who's uh, pitching as well as she ha- has had all year long. It is it's nuts, man. Again, Sunday was crazy across college softball. Uh, the, the seven innings. Uh, on, on ESPN U uh, or excuse me ESPN Plus that so many were watching so many crazy softball games yesterday not really for OU OU really didn't even seemingly uh, break a sweat and and you're right Parker with it, it's so nice to go to Marina Hines Field on Sunday and kind of sit back and this is me taking it for granted when I try to tell people not to take it for granted but sitting back and saying I know exactly what's going to happen here and when the second hitter of the game hits an opposite field home run. You just stand there and you say, yeah, this is exactly what I expected. And then three home runs follow after that in the first inning. It's just incredible to watch, man. They are inevitable. That's the best word to describe this program, whether it's in the first inning or the seventh inning, as the Pokes found out a couple weeks ago. This program is inevitable. 
And it's fun to watch, Tyler, because it rivals the run that UCLA had in college basketball in the mid-'70s. It rivals the run that the Yankees had at the end of the 90s. You think about the great dynasties of sports at all levels. That's the territory that Patty Gasso and company are encroaching upon if they're not already there. Yeah, 92 days since OU softball lost a game, by the way. It's been over three months, 92 days since that's been the case. Who's who's made – I feel like this is an easy question. Who's made more highlight real plays so far in their career, Jada Coleman or Billy Bowman? <laughs> I feel like it's Jada. <laughs> Do you want me to answer that question? <laughs> I feel like it's Jada. And it's, I mean, look, Billy Bowman's a great player, like, and I think that the biggest plays are still – you know still coming for him in an OU uniform, but Jada's robbed like four or five home runs in her career. Like, she's incredible, man. Unbelievable. The recruiting doomer says, good Lord, I wish Patty could recruit defensive tackles. Is that what we're at right now? Hoping that Patty could join the recruiting staff in the offseason to get some D linemen in? I mean, hey, might as well let her take her shot at this point. Sean on the text line says, this weekend, college softball showed its depth and parity in teams and talent. Without OU, there's 12 to 15 teams that could win a title. But then there is an Oklahoma dominating the sports golden age with culture as yep. much as talent. Yep, well said. Uh, there, it, it, College softball is as deep as it's ever been right now. But you may not notice just because Oklahoma is running the sport right now. I mean, that's there's no other way to say it. They're, they're running things, and if they win, um, they win the first game against Clemson, they tie the record. For uh, consecutive wins, if they sweep Clemson, well, OU's the new record holder in college softball with, uh, what, uh, 48 consecutive wins. By the way, uh, I was just sent the current WCWS odds to win the championship. Check this out. This is how big of a favorite OU is right now. OU is minus 950 to win the national championship, and the next closest, Parker, is FSU plus 600. That, that, that's 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 the gap between OU and everyone else right now. It, it means if you bet a hundred dollars, you would win. If you bet a hundred dollars on Florida State, you would win six hundred dollars. And I believe you have to bet nine hundred and fifty dollars just to win a hundred dollars on OU. There is a massive gap right now, odds wise, between OU and everyone else, and that's 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 how it should be. I think I'm going to take my nine hundred and fifty bucks then and put it on OU, Tyler, because that feels like free money at this point. Uh, 405, Patty Gasso is the best coach in OU history, and it's not close. Yeah, well, she ain't done winning championships either. Uh, 918, Rod, Oklahoma has a way of just knocking the will right out of a team, total domination. Yeah, that's what I was saying is, you know, Cal's trotting back to the dugout. They're already down 6 nothing, And what they face in the circle is a pitcher with like a 0.75 ERA. Like that's – you know you're beat at that point. We just gave up six runs in the first inning. We're not going to score six runs if we played 20 innings today. And we're not going to score six runs in the five-inning run roll that they're going to put on us. It's, uh, yeah, it's deflating for sure. Kyle W. says, only team that will give OU a problem is OSU, and they're a small problem. OSU did win its regional, but um, I don't know. I, It's not a given. OU's going to have to continue to play good softball, but they are uh, – they, they, are, they are certainly the best team right now. But, yeah, what I'm gathering on the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line, Parker, is that people needed that domination from OU softball to get over the uh, recruiting uh, mishaps that happened this weekend. Again, Patty Gasso there. and company just take care of business, and it's always nice to have a team that you can turn to and know that they're taking care of business 
all throughout the season and you got positive storylines and you got stuff to feel good about because when the wheels are falling off elsewhere, i.e. in the world of recruiting blue chip defensive linemen right now, at least you can feel good about what's going on in the softball program. That never changes. Yeah. Uh, 918, okay, I'll be that guy that defends Jen Schroeder. No, don't, don't be that guy. Not, not me. This is the text for all of you out there. This is the text from the 918. I don't think she was saying OU won't be the best team. I think she was saying OU wouldn't hit as many home runs this year. And you know what? She's right. When she says OU won't be that big, bad team, I think she strictly meant in the home run department. Well, here's what Jen also said after that that you didn't hear in that clip is that, well, maybe they will compete for the national championship. Like, she just didn't – she sounded somewhat confident that OU was even going to compete for the national championship. And, of course, OU was going to compete for the national championship before the year. I, I, I get what you're saying there, and, yes, OU hasn't hit as many home runs as maybe the greatest offense in college softball history last year. But Jen was out for the hot take. She, she presented it like OU was going to take a step back this year, and they haven't. They've only lost – one game so far this year. Uh, but I see, you know, I see why she did, Tyler, because it's the easiest hot take in the history of hot takes. Because who would imagine that one team wouldn't take at least something of a step back after, what did they lose, two games last year? They lose two games last year? Uh, one in the regular season, and, well, they lost three. One in the Big 12 tournaments, one to UCLA and OKC. I think they lost three total. Okay, so they, they lost three games last year, won a second consecutive national national championship. It was the easiest hot take in the world to sit there and say, oh, yeah, Oklahoma's not going to be as good as they were last year because the bar was so high. You almost had nowhere to go but down. But somehow, Patty Gasso and this program have kept the bar right where it was a year ago and the year before that. Should uh, If they win the title this year, should Jada Coleman and Grace Lyons act like that Georgia defensive lineman after they won the title? People <laughs> say we're going 5-5, five and 6-6. Five, six and six. Like, It oh, wasn't gosh. that extreme with Jen Schroeder, but I'd, uh, I'd be here for it if, uh, if they did that. All right, 405-651-3439 is the number to the Knipple-Meyer Chevrolet text line. I'm at the Newcastle Casino today where they have the most electronic games in the Metro over 2,500. Happy hour is underway until 6 p.m. Budweiser, Michelob Ultra cans for 450. Will drinks 550 as well. Off track uh, betting site here. They've got table games as well. They got it all here at the Newcastle Casino. And coming up next, ESPN did a ranking of college football's top 75 quarterbacks of the 2000s. There was there were several suitors on that list, but one clear omission. We'll tell you who that is coming up next. Keep it locked on the ref. It is the rush live on the ref for the homeless suitor fans. No Ted Lehman this week. He is on vacay. So that means you're going to be hearing a lot of Parker Thune and a whole lot of Travis Davidson this week. 405-651-3439, Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line. ESPN ranks college football's top 75 quarterbacks of the 2000s. It is definitely an off-season story, but it is one that has a lot of former Sooners on the list. Six of them, to be exact, Parker. Uh, and at number one on the list, and I'm pleasantly surprised about this one, Baker Mayfield is at number one on this list by ESPN. And the reasoning is, yes, Cam Newton had a, the best year. Joe Burrow had a great year. Bryce Young had a great individual year. But when you look at everything that Baker Mayfield throughout, did throughout three years as a starter, 
there were three consecutive years where he was an elite quarterback. I got to say that I'm surprised that ESPN went with this, but they got Baker as the number one quarterback in college football in the 2000s. It's a heck of an honor. That is a heck of an honor, especially because, to be honest, I I would lean toward Tim Tebow based on accomplishments. But, Uh-oh. you know, Baker is right there with him. I don't think you can make an argument that Baker isn't at the very least one of the top five college quarterbacks of the 2000s based on accomplishments and all that he brought to the University of Oklahoma, not just in terms of his production on the field, but his persona off of it. So, yeah, I I am kind of surprised as well, but pleasantly surprised, no doubt. Because we know what the uh, narrative nationally is around Baker Mayfield, and I I do think that that um, does affect – even silly rankings like this, but three consecutive years as an elite quarterback, I thought Baker should have been a Heisman finalist in 2015. In fact, I think I remember that he actually bought his suits beforehand, before the finalists were announced, and he wasn't announced as a finalist, and I think a lot of people were surprised. Obviously won that award in 2017, but three consecutive years, 131 touchdowns to just 30 interceptions. He had over 100 more Passing touchdowns, and he did interceptions. That's that's one heck of a career. And he added 21 rushing touchdowns, by the way, after throwing for uh, over 14,000 yards. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read off the other six OU quarterbacks that were in the top 75, actually in the top 40 on this list. Okay. You tell me which one is ranked too low or who is actually ranked too high on this list. Okay. Baker's one. Kyler is at number seven. Sammy B is at 15. Jalen Hurts at 25, Jason White at 32, and then Landry Jones at 39. feel like I know where you're going here. Kyler Murray is too high. Really? Yes. Jalen Hurts is too low. Jason White is also too low. Sam Bradford at 15, I feel like is fair. Landry Jones at 39, I think that's probably fair too. Who Who else was there? Who did I miss? Nobody. I, oh, is that it? it okay. Well, it, it, and I teased it going into last segment, but there was a, you know, player that was noticeably left off of the list. Now, did Josh Heupel have as much pure talent as a Kyla Murray or a Sam Bradford or a Baker Mayfield? No, he did not. But at the same time, even though the numbers weren't necessarily gaudy throughout his career, like some of the other quarterbacks we mentioned, he is the last one to win a national championship, man. And Josh Heupel had to play some elite defenses that year in Kansas State a couple of times, Nebraska once, Florida State obviously in the championship game. I'm not saying that Josh Heupel should be the highest-ranked former Sooner on this list. I'm not saying that at all. But considering what he did for this program in 2000 and even in 1999, dude should at least be in the top 75 on this list. Yeah, I mean, again, you're talking about one year – and I can think of probably 40, 50 guys off the top of my head that had a more impressive individual season than Heupel. So I think, honestly, the reason why he's not amongst the top 75 is because the only year he played in the 2000s was 2000. So, yeah, he won a national championship, but I don't think his – and this was this is kind of naturally the case. It's no knock on him, but – his numbers aren't as inflated as some of his peers who only had a year or two 
as collegiate starters. I can understand why Heupel didn't crack the list. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I can understand it. See, I just, I just don't with the level of competition that they had to face in 2000 and the relevance of what that year kind of meant to Oklahoma getting back and how that's kind of shaped or helped shape college football over the past, you know, 22 years, I guess, since they won a championship. And, and really where my biggest beef is, is not just Josh Heupel being out of the top 75. It's some of these quarterbacks that are in the top 75, like JT Barrett at Ohio State. Didn't he end up getting replaced at Ohio State? Only because his... only because he got injured. Yeah, but some of these other names on here, like Geno Smith at West Virginia. I mean, he had a nice first half of 2012. Kevin Cobb at Houston. Zach Wilson at BYU. Kenny Pickett at Pitts. I, I know if you look at Heupel's numbers compared to these other guys, pretty much all these guys are going to have better numbers. But if you really look at that specific season, because Cam Newton's ranked number two on this list, and he only had one year at Auburn, and he sure. won a national championship, and he's ranked as the second-best quarterback of the 2000s. Well, sure. Again, but- I'm not saying that Heupel should be in the top 30 or even the top 40. Maybe he should be at the back half of the list, but he should be on it regardless. Well, and I think Heupel certainly has a better case when you put it in context, as is some of the guys that did make the list, because – I would not take Zach Wilson's career over Josh Heupel's, for instance. Now, Kevin Cobb, sure, he was super productive at the University of Houston. I can understand that one. Kenny Pickett, fringe selection, had a couple good years. But, yes, Zach Wilson is one guy I can say unequivocally and unambiguously, I would take Josh Heupel and would put him on that list before Zach Wilson. Dan LaFever at Central Michigan is at 51. What? Look, Dan LaFever was a nice quarterback for the Chips. I understand that from 06 to 09. But what I'm saying is I know the number. Like, college football has changed so significantly in the past 20 years. Like, let's kind of evaluate the opponents here and who OU had to roll through in 2000 compared to Dan LaFever at Central Michigan. But maybe you can't complain too much when six Sooners are on the list. I I don't know. But, um, yeah, Jason White probably should be a little bit higher at 32. What I'm so impressed with about him always is that he kind of – he had to change his game quite a bit, you know. Early in his career, he was way more of a dual-threat quarterback than he was at the end of his career. Kind of had to change his style as a QB, and he did so and won the Heisman Trophy. Imagine a world in which Gordon Reese doesn't screw over Oklahoma in 2006, and we're having the conversation about Paul Thompson making this yeah, list. Yeah, let's go. Because he put Oklahoma in position to play for a national championship that year absent the loss to Oregon. Uh, text line is asking if Stetson Bennett is on the list. Yeah, he's at number 37. In between Ken Dorsey at Miami at 36 and Matt Jones at Alabama at 38. Yeah. Stetson Bennett, too high, too low, or dead on balls accurate? Yeah, I, if anything, and this might be a hot take, I would actually say too low because, you know, show me show me which other guys on that list have won two national championships as a starting quarterback. I would venture a guess that there are not many, well, if if any. Who has recently? I guess Leinert did, right? Split for uh, split no three, outright no four. Yeah, it, I mean, did Alabama ever have a guy win two? Did A.J. McCarron may have been on the team for two, but individually as a starter, he won one in 2012, and was he their quarterback in 2011? Maybe he was their quarterback in 2011 when they won one. Here's the top ten. Baker's at one, Cam Newton's at two, Vince Young's at three, Tebow's at four, 
Joe Burrow at five, Deshaun Watson at six, Kyler at seven, Lamar Jackson at eight, Marcus Mariota at nine, and RG3, Robert Griffin III from Baylor at number 10. Okay. I mean, I in the context of that top 10, I still say Kyler Murray is actually too high. And I would, again, Tim Tebow would be my number one. But all in all, that's a pretty star-studded list. You know what's crazy is you read so many of these names, and now with you know the transfer portal, and you know it, there, there's a lot of players on this list who only started for one year, had one incredible year, and they're off to the NFL. Like Baker is one of the few on here that had three consecutive years of elite football, yeah. or even really starting for three years, which is crazy to think about. Yeah, because like guys don't start for three years anymore. Yeah, it doesn't I happen. I know, man. It's crazy. Uh, 214, is Greg McElroy on the list? I'll, I'll, I'll check that. He won that one title in, in 09. I would guess that, okay, if Greg McElroy's on the list and Josh Heupel isn't, then will you, will you be mad like me? Then will you be a, a tad upset? I mean, I'm already a tad upset just knowing that Zach Wilson is on the list. But if Greg McElroy is and Josh Heupel isn't, yes. Yes. Graham Harrell was at 34. Chase Daniel was at 35. Uh, Alex Smith was at 40. Colin Klein at Kansas State was at 41. Eric Crouch at Nebraska was 45. Tell me how you feel about this one. Brady Quinn at Notre Dame was at 46. Okay. Huh. I mean, I'm, I'm okay with that. Eric Crouch is probably also a little bit too low just by virtue of the fact that he won a Heisman Trophy. Last good quarterback that Nebraska's had, maybe. It's been, it's been over 20 years. Uh-huh. Man. Brad Smith at Missouri was at 68. Uh, Brandon Wheaton at Oklahoma State was 71. Dak at Mississippi State was 72. And then you had Matt Ryan at Boston College at uh, 75. Joe and Wayne says, what number is Trevor Lawrence on that list? Uh, he was at 11. He was at 11. Ohio Sooner Vince Young over Tim Tebow is an absolute joke. Tebow had three incredible seasons and won two titles. He was the backup quarterback for one of those titles. I, I will say that. Like, who had he, the better individual season? Man, Vince in 05 was, was pretty baller, man. Yeah, he was. Although I, I will say Tebow was seeing the field a lot as a true freshman for yeah. that Florida team that won the national title. So while he wasn't technically the starter, he was very heavily involved. Then The Gator heavy package <laughs> in 06. Yeah, and then he goes and wins the Heisman Trophy the next year wins a national championship, and finishes runner-up to Sam Bradford for the Heisman the next year. And then 2009, he just didn't quite get there, didn't quite get to the top of the mountain for either the Heisman or the national championship, but was still really productive as a senior. <laughs> uh, for the 918, who the heck is Dan Lefevre? Sounds like a virus. Yeah, exactly. Who is Dan Lefevre? Most of you never even heard of that guy before. And he was like, what, in the top 60 on this list? I remember Dan Lefevre. I I could not have told you where it was that he played his college football. But I, for the life of me, I would not have imagined seeing his name on his, on that list. Uh, Brad Bartlesville says, where's Johnny Football? He was at 13 on the list. Now, if you want to talk about individual seasons, like he still had a pretty good 2013, but – what he did for A&M, a program that more times than not is disappointed, He's he, Johnny Manziel was the best player in college football in 2012. That's why he won the Heisman Trophy, obviously. But I don't, I don't know if Johnny football's 2012 season is overlooked, but it was pretty unbelievable, man. It was pretty unbelievable. Uh, one 405 listener said, no Mike Vick. Mike Vick preceded the 2000s. Yep. So, yep. Yes. Correct. No Mike yep. Vick. Sorry. 
Uh, Ohio Sooner Chris Leak was a very good quarterback in his own right, speaking of Florida. That he yeah, was. he was the starting quarterback in uh, that 2006 Florida National Championship year. 580 says Vince Young is so overrated. He was not good his first two seasons. He was great his senior year, but outside of that, not so much. Well, he wasn't good against OU his first two years, that's for sure. Um, let's see, in his first OU-Texas game, Chance Mock started. Chance Young, Mock. Former five-star Chance Mock, by the way. That's a blast Mock from the past. Mock started. Vince Young came in and played most of the game, and Vince and the Horns lost 65-13. Then in the next year, Vince did start, and he got shut out by OU, but they went on to win the Rose Bowl. So, yeah, against, like, as great as Vince Young was, and he is, in my mind, a top-10 quarterback of the 2000s, just one and two against OU and got shut out in one of those years. A little bit of a fun fact there for you. And what was the was it twelve to zero? Was that the final in two thousand four? Yeah, I was trying to. It was a weird, weird score. I mean, that was the day that the world met Adrian Peterson. OU fans had already been introduced to Adrian Peterson, but that was the day that the rest of the nation met that guy. Uh, Brazilian sooner, one more. Who had the better pro career, Chase Daniel or Landry Jones? That actually says Landry Jones. Brazilian oh, sooner wrote Landry Jones. Jones. <laughs> oh, Chase gosh. Daniel's still in the league, man. Backup quarterback. He's got the life. Oh, I thought he retired. Did he? No, that was Chad Henney. I'm thinking of Chad Henney. Yeah. Chad yeah. Henney was the one that retired after the Super Bowl. But, yeah, Chase Daniel has collected himself a series of very nice paychecks over the years by just holding a clipboard. Not a bad life if you can get it, that's for sure. 405-651-3439 is the Knipplier Chevrolet text line. I'm at the Newcastle Casino where they have the most games in the Metro, over 2,500 electronic games. We'll get to more of your text on the other side. Keep it locked on the ref. It's the rush on the ref, Tyler McComas, Parker Thune. I'm at the Newcastle Casino today. Table games, off-track betting. They got them both here at the Newcastle Casino along with 2,500 electronic games. To the uh, text line we go. Sarks Vodka says, Williams Winery will not be a Sooner. Like I said on Friday, OU will get Stone, Jonah Bigfish, McKinley, Smith, and Okoye. I saw uh, Williams Winery's recent comments about A&M. He visited there this weekend. What did he say, Parker? They are up there with OU and Tennessee at the top now? Yeah, I, I, take take that with a grain of salt. Because what I will say is, look, I, I get that money talks, especially for five-star defensive linemen. But Will Winery's got some really good people in his corner, and that's not to say he can't tell all of them, no, I'm doing my own thing in the end, but – Jamar Mosey and the folks at LSN, not huge fans of the way that Texas A&M does business. So, yeah, I, I mean, the kid is going to come out and he's going to say something like that in the aftermath of a visit when he talks to somebody like Steve Wiltfong or Chad Simmons. He's not going to come out and say, yeah, you know, the visit was just kind of uh, mediocre. No, he's going to talk up the visit. He's going to talk up the facilities and the experience. But right now I'm not really worried about Texas A&M for Will Nguyenary. I'm not. Uh, Sam and Edmonds says, saw a report somewhere that OU is trending down with Joseph Jonah Ajonye and Bryant Wesco. Parker, please talk me off of this ledge. What, Wesco was at USC this weekend, and uh, Joseph Jonah Ajonye was at Georgia, correct? That is correct, and I will say that Georgia is trending up for Joseph Jonah Ajonye. That does not mean that Oklahoma is trending down, but Georgia is certainly trending up. 
Now, with Bryant Wesco, I, I'm just not worried yet. And that's not to say it's a foregone conclusion that the kid's going to commit to Oklahoma. I, anytime you're dealing with the five-star, again, you can't really take anything for granted. But OU believes that they're going to close on Wesco. They believe that the official visit slate that he's set for the month of June is not of great concern. And so I, I'm probably more uneasy about Joseph Jonah Jonier right now than I am about Bryant Wesco. We'll see what happens throughout the month of June. But the good news is, if you're a Sooner fan, OU is going to get another crack at both of those guys. Jonah Jonier is coming back for the barbecue, and Wesco will OV with OU. It's just a matter of when. Oregon had a really good weekend. Um, obviously, they get Zadavian Sims, but they got Michael Van Buren as well. I believe Oregon's a top-five class now. Georgia just continues to roll. They get a five-star safety, K.J. Bolden, one of the top ten players in the country. Did I see Georgia also does a, like a, a scavenger hunt? Is that like a big recruiting weekend thing for them? It's all something about a scavenger hunt. Yeah, I guess. I mean, that's a thing that they've done on an annual basis for a while. So, I mean, that you can think of that as their answer to the champion barbecue. Hmm. Uh, interesting. Sammy Brown did not make it to Georgia. But apparently some prospects came to Sammy Brown, five-star backer. Yeah, well, and that's how you know they want Sammy Brown in the class, right? <laughs> they're pulling out all the stops. They're coming to him. That means that they're serious about getting the five-star linebacker on board with the Bulldogs. Now, I, I still lean Clemson right now for Sammy Brown above the others. But, look, Georgia's back-to-back national champions. He's in their backyard in general, that's a program that you're not going to be able to completely disregard until a final decision is made. Uh, what happened in the portal over this weekend? I mean, not not a whole lot, honestly. Jordan Hudson did pick SMU finally after like three weeks of SMU feeling like they were the leader. Jordan Hudson finally picks SMU. That is a one-time OU wide receiver commits. Then he decommitted and went to TCU, so... I don't know if this is a full circle moment coming up in week two next year, Parker, but OU will face off against Jordan Hudson and the SMU Ponies. Yeah, they will. I, I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't really call it full circle because even though he was committed to OU once upon a time, the staff that had recruited him is no longer around. So, I mean, I'm not sure whether he has many, if any, existing relationships with the folks within the Switzer Center. But, yeah, Jordan Hudson – Back to SMU after being committed there once upon a time as well. From the 405, Steely and KREF have left the Twitterverse in shambles after the backstory about Coach Bates' father was put out. People are going at Sean Cooper and Zadavian Sims. Well, I'm not surprised. We still got a zillion Zadavian Sims texts to get to from the 2 o'clock hour, and I want to get to some of them because there's there's some really good questions in there that we haven't touched on yet. Uh, But, yeah, look – it's a debacle. It was and is an utter debacle. And the kid's going to take a lot of heat. The trainer's going to take a lot of heat. It's not going to be a fun few months for them. That's the nature of the bed that they made and now have to lie in. Yeah, it is a um, – we've seen a lot of interesting situations in recruiting recently. I think the one that everyone always brings up is Peyton Bowen. So here's – Oregon bringing some drama to the table once again. But I don't think that we've seen drama quite like this unique case in quite some time, maybe ever, for for OU. 
Yeah, it kind of, like I would say in terms of sheer deception, it goes beyond the David Hicks thing. I I wouldn't say it rivals the Peyton Bowen situation because I I will I don't know if I will ever encounter another situation that remotely resembles the Bowen fiasco, but in terms of sheer deception, everybody thinks of DJ Hicks as the prime example of this. But DJ Hicks wanted to be a sooner. It was his parents that kind of got in the way and he told OU he was coming because in his mind he was. Unfortunately, in the end, it wasn't his opinion that ended up superseding the other opinions that were at play. So I I have sympathy for DJ Hicks and what he went through and why he ended up at Texas A&M in the end, but there's really no two ways about this whole ordeal. There was just a lot of very – I'm, I'm trying to conjure up the proper word – there was a lot of deception, and especially in hindsight, and unfortunately not in foresight, it was deception that should have that should not have occurred. And yeah. those yeah. involved in the situation should have had better foresight than to continue engaging in that deception given all that was going on last week. Very, very fair. Knippel Meyer Chevrolet text line 405-651-3439. Still a lot to get to there. Still a lot of OU football recruiting to get to. And just OU football as well as we look forward to the upcoming season. Keep it locked right here on the ref. We're the Homeless Center fans. Cavens Group, bringing you this hour of The Rush, CavensGroup.com. Go check them out if you have an emergency repair. Hopefully you don't. Hopefully you don't have storm damage either. But it is storm season across Oklahoma. CavensGroup.com. They can help you out with anything with your home or your office building. Or give them a call, 405-573-3048. That's 405-573-3048. We were on the air on Friday when former USC Athletic Director Mike Bone just seemingly resigned, effective immediately. And he cited health reasons and wanting to be more present and spending more time with family. Okay, that's what it said in the statement, but apparently it came out this weekend, Parker, that at least the New York Post was reporting that Bone made inappropriate comments about the physical appearance of female colleagues, including remarks about their dress, hair, and weight, that staff members said made them feel uncomfortable. Bones' actions left the women feeling awkward and continued after he was confronted about them, per the Times sources. Yikes! You know, Mike, you know Mike Steely had a lot of fun with that, and he played a clip uh, from Dodgeball earlier today, but uh, ugh, not a good look from, uh, from Mike Bone there. Oh, a tale as old as time. Guy in a suit acts like a creep and is forced to resign in disgrace. Yeah, that's not what the statement read on Friday, but um, obviously more details are coming out. So it, more going on there than the statement. It presents the natural question, Tyler, who replaces Mike Bone as USC athletic director? And I think the leader in the clubhouse has to be Clark Stroud. Oh, my gosh. USC fans, are you ready for your athletic director to put out uh, him singing uh, on Fridays? Does he still do that, by the way? I don't know. Probably not. Is he even still on social media? I think OU fans destroyed that. I don't think he's on social media anymore. Um, people on the text line are making notes of what he's being accused of, also what his last name is. Yes. Which is uh, Bone, in case you missed that one. So people are, yeah, people are going there on that one. Yeah, it's interesting. 
Uh, okay, let's – text line says, Parker, you said OU is done with C4. Is Brandon Drum done with C4? I didn't, meaning what? I mean, he has a son that plays seven on seven with C four. I mean, I, I don't know. I want. I don't want to speak for Brandon, but uh, we'll see. Uh, we. I mean, we got a. Like I said, we got a ton of texts about the Zadavian Sim situation. I want to get back into it at some point. What, what do you obviously. think is the most? And, and we'll do more of this at four. But what do you think is the most relevant question now surrounding all of this? The either most looking back or you're either looking back or moving forward with OU. Like, what's the question you're seeing the most on the text line about all this? I guess. Uh, well, I think the question I'm probably seeing the most is, and we've had a variety of people that weren't tuned in right at uh, two o'clock when we started to talk about the Zadavian Sim situation. So. People are wanting to know why it is that C4 has gotten dragged into all of this, and people are wanting to know what exactly the sim situation even is and what Sean Cooper's involvement was. I think the thing that has probably been asked the most frequently, though, is why is OU upset with C4 and why not just Zadavian Sims? And there's a very... I mean, there's a very rational answer to that question. Again, we'll unpack it a little bit more when we get back into this conversation sometime next hour, but... That's, I think, what people are asking the most. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll hit that at the top of next hour. And for all of you out there on the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line, I cannot read your Mike Bone text. Just know, and I can't speak for Parker on this one, but just know that they are very, very funny, and I'm laughing at these. They cannot read really any of them on the show, but they are still hilarious regardless. All right, we'll get, uh, we got more OU softball coming up next. But, uh, yeah, Zadavian Sims picks Oregon on Saturday, and there's a whole lot of drama there. We'll uh, retell that whole story coming up next right here on The Ref. The 3-2, popped up, left field. Lillian races back to the warning track, makes the catch. Win Callum Sooners for the third. Straight season. The Sooners are headed to the Super Regionals. It's the longest streak in college softball as OU extends the longest winning streak in college softball to 46 straight games. Victory! DJ I just don't think that Oklahoma is going to be the team that hits 80 bajillion home runs. They may hit 50 bajillion, but I don't think they're going to be the big, bad Oklahoma Sooners that they've been. And they stay there. And they stay there. OU was big and bad this weekend. 11-0 win over Hofstra, 11-0 win over Missouri, and then a 16-3 win over Cal on Sunday to win the Norman Regional. They dominated their way through. In case you didn't hear, OU and Clemson in the Super Regional Game 1 will be Friday at 1 p.m. And, of course, if OU wins that game, they will tie the all-time consecutive wins record at 47. 46 straight wins right now for OU softball. 92 days since they've lost a game, which is incredible. Uh, We'll talk more softball later on this hour, but let's get to... God, arguably the biggest story in the state right now. Zadavian Sims picks Oregon on Saturday. But Parker Thune, it goes a little bit deeper than that. And I guess we have to really start with what happened with Todd Bates throughout the last week of this cycle. 
uh, well, yes, his his dad's health was deteriorating. Uh, he was in hospice care towards the end of it, and all of this was going down as Todd Bates was trying to close out the Zadavian Sims recruitment, and as Sims was actively telling him, I'm coming to OU, I'm all OU, you got nothing to worry about. And so that kind of provides some backdrop for everything that went on this weekend with Zadavian Sims' commitment announcement. Yeah, just it's not it's not a good look, and several of you have texted about, well, why is OU so mad at, at C4? Like, what, what did C4 do down at Meade, Oklahoma, close to Durant? Does this sever ties between OU and the C4 factory down there? And it, it sounds like OU's not too happy with uh, how things went down in that regard. Yeah, they're not too happy, and understandably, it's going to be really, really hard for that bridge to be repaired between C4 and Oklahoma. And why is this notable? Well, for those that are unfamiliar with the training facility that is C4 down in Meade, Oklahoma, C4 is where Kevin Sperry trains and plays 7-on-7. C4 is where Eric McCarty trained and played 7-on-7. So there are some pretty significant ties there with C4, and OU football is not going to drop Kevin Sperry because he's affiliated with C4. No, Kevin Sperry's locked in with Oklahoma. He's He was going to be locked in with Oklahoma regardless of whether he was affiliated with C4 or not. So nothing really to fret about there. But a lot of those elite athletes from the Texoma area train and play in the offseason on the 7-on-7 circuit with C4. Going forward... Oklahoma is not going to be as eager or perhaps even willing at all to do business with somebody that has their hand in the C4 barrel. And so you think about how that affects somebody like Colton Yarbrough, for instance, or 2026 running back Rylan Morris out of Honeygrove, Texas, who is a guy that OU was, and I say was, still is. Like He's still offer caliber down the line for Oklahoma, but naturally the question becomes – does OU continue to do business with those kids? And based on what I've heard to this point, Tyler, it seems that they're either going to have to dissociate with C4 or OU is just going to find targets elsewhere because, Man. again, these bridges are not easily repaired when stuff goes down the way that it went down over the last week. Yeah, we, we've mentioned it a couple times, but for people just now tuning in, there's you know several scenarios where a kid commits elsewhere and it's at this point in the year, even during the fall, and we say, well, OU's not going to give up here. It didn't go their way with the commitment, but we'll see if OU can circle back around and maybe get an official, and maybe that can change things. We're talking about that with Peyton Pierce, who committed to Ohio State, what, about a month ago, right? I would not expect OU to circle back around after everything that you just heard about how it went down, you know. Um, OU has other targets on their defensive line. And, Parker, you and I feel very confident that OU is going to move forward with those targets and probably not try and mend that relationship with Zadavian Sims. I think just too much has happened in the past, what, three, four days or so for, 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 for OU to mend that way. I just I don't see it. Yeah, look, the relationship with Zadavian Sims is over. OU is moving on from that, which, I mean, it's understandable because we're not talking about David Hicks here. We're not talking about a kid that you will go to any and all lengths to get him in your uniform. No, Zadavian Sims is not that caliber of a football player. So that relationship is pretty beyond repair. I I don't think it's quite as bad with Sean Cooper and C4, but there is a lot of patching up 
that is going to need to happen if OU is ever going to do business with C4 and its athletes again. And that's not going to happen overnight. There's going to have to be a lot of meaningful, intentional, gradual progress made in that direction for the bridges to be restored to their once glorious state. Because there was a time where C4 kids were showing up on a weekly basis for OU visits. Obviously, Eric McCarty ended up at Oklahoma. He was the first real big-name kid to go to OU on scholarship from the C4 crowd. So it yields some fruit in terms of the athletes that it produces, but at what cost? Sure. Uh, I guess Zedavian Sims said after he chose Oregon on Saturday that in his mind he was already committed to OU when his interest in Oregon began to ramp up. He says he was this close to canceling his April 22nd unofficial to Oregon in order to attend OU spring game, and now he plans to cancel all of those uh, OVs that he had planned. What we, we found out on Friday that he had a, an official visit to Michigan State, which was fascinating, interesting. He's apparently canceled that. We'll, we'll see. I, I, would it shock me if Zadavian Sims takes another visit elsewhere? No, I just don't think it's going to be. I don't think it's going to be to OU. What, what was the most revealing thing that he said to you after after committing to Oregon? Was it just that? Is that he was already committed to OU in his mind, then he went to Oregon and everything changed? Well, I look, I what's weird to me about this all, and it's all been weird, and I, I really don't know how much you can take at face value from the kid anymore just based on how many lies have already been wrapped into this whole deal, but... Sims told me that he'd committed to Oregon on April 22nd. Talking to people around the area, people who know him, they were they maintained that that wasn't true, that he didn't officially commit, that, yeah, he gave reason for Dan Lanning and that staff to believe that they were in a good spot, but he didn't officially commit. And so that whole situation, especially with him saying on the record in front of the media, I committed up there on my first visit on April 22nd, obviously that was going to blow up and that was going to uh, – turn into or that, that was I guess only going to exacerbate the issues at hand uh, the Ohio Sooner says yeah sure he was this close to canceling the April Oregon visit we can totally trust what this kid says fair point now um the 405 okay this is this is a question that's getting asked a lot why or how is it C4's fault well what you have to understand about Zadavian Sims is that he's been working out with Sean Cooper since he was in sixth grade. Now, Zadavian Sims doesn't have a father figure in his life, and that's what Sean Cooper has been to him for years and years. And Sean's a good dude. Nothing like nothing about this situation will ever get me to profess anything besides good things about Sean Cooper's character. That's a good person, regardless uh. of how poorly this was handled. But where Sean Cooper went wrong is, and where everybody in his camp went wrong is, look, Coop took all of Zadavian's visits with him. He was there for it all. You saw him in the commitment edit with Zadavian Sims, the commitment edit announcing the decision that Sims was going to go to Oregon. And so Coop was very tied into this whole process for Sims. And he was fielding a lot of phone calls on the kid's behalf, and he was helping to coordinate the recruitment, not – and not in a helicopter sense where literally every single thing that's going on he's privy to, but he has a very active hand in it. And he knew 
that Zadavian Sims, if he, if whether you believe he committed to Oregon or not on April 22nd, he knew that Zadavian Sims was very heavily leaning towards announcing for Oregon this past weekend and chose not to disclose that to the Oklahoma staff until the very, very end. It wasn't until Saturday morning that Zadavian Sims finally texted the OU staff and let them know, hey, I'm not actually coming. So and that's after Todd that's, Bates left his, you know, left yeah, his and that's after a week of assurances from Sims yeah. to OU that he's going to be a Sooner. And so where Sean ends up in the crossfire here, and again, this is a good dude. This is a guy that I'll go to bat for as far as his character. But where he ends up in the crossfire is you got to make a decision as a trainer, right? Are you going to be loyal to your kid and keep his secret? Or are you going to be straight with the coach that's been recruiting him for upwards of a year and the staff that recruits numerous kids that are involved with your organization and give them a heads up that, hey, this is, even if it's not certainly going in Oregon's direction, it's probably going in Oregon's direction. So the fact that that disclosure wasn't made is why OU and C4 are kind of on the outs right now. Yeah, that's where the beef is. I mean, if this was just handled – a lot better by that side. He still picks Oregon. Then, oh, okay. Like, didn't go their way, but whatever. You move forward here. But with everything that you just said there, like, that's where that's where the real beef is for sure. I, I do love this text from the 918. It's great. Because we mentioned how Zidavian Sims says, I was this close from canceling my unofficial to Oregon and going to OU spring game. 918 on the text line says, well, he did say I was close. We know how people who say things like that do things. Which is very true. We used to hear that around here quite a bit. Uh, Look how that ended up. Huh? I'm not calling him a mule shoe, but, you know, there's just some uh, comparisons there. Some comparisons there for sure. The Recruiting Doomer says, Zadavian Sims saying David Stone is coming with me. Nah, homie, you're making that trip all by your lonesome. Well, you say that, and I, I would be inclined to agree, but keep in mind, Oregon got money. Oregon got deep pockets. Uh, Maggie on the text line says, Hearing the Todd Bates story, it's good Sims isn't coming here. It isn't a talent thing, but a character thing. Lags32 says, Don't blame Durant, blame C4, which when I go back home on Saturday, we'll have some explaining to do. Get him, Lags. At, at, at the end of the day, I don't, I, I don't think you blame C4 in all this. The blame primarily lies with the kid because it was the kid who was doing the bulk, the vast majority of the lying and the deception here. It all, Sooner, well, I was uh, just going to say, it all comes back to him. Old Sooner says this type of action may be orchestrated by Oregon. I doubt Oregon has forgotten the commitment, decommitment of Peyton Bowen. I suggest Oregon wanted payback plus coin to Sims. Was Oregon, it, r- remind me, was Oregon at fault at least a little bit for the whole Peyton Bowen thing? Did they put the wrong date on the uh, official LOI? No, Peyton Bowen. Peyton did. Peyton, okay, yeah, yeah. Peyton, Peyton Bowen put, you know, he put the right date on, he put the right time on, but he didn't specify a.m. or p.m., which is a very small technicality, but one that made the LOI inadmissible. You know, it's it's great. Like, this has to be the most eventful <laughs> recruiting weekend of the entire year. Like, you had this whole situation, which maybe that alone it's the most eventful story so far for OU football recruiting. So that and alone, it's probably the case. But then you had Lane, Lane Jenkins, the JUCO ad from Butler last week, take a visit to Illinois. Now his offer is null and void for OU. 
Sounds like he's going to go to Illinois. And then on Friday, a player that we haven't talked about really at all because he's never you know, given OU the impression he was all that interested, <laughs> was a state of Oklahoma kid by the name of Danny Okoye, who's a six foot five edge, homeschool up in the Tulsa area, and now all of a sudden OU's in his top ten and maybe in his top five. Dude, so much happened in recruiting this weekend for OU. Not all of it good, but there was at least one story that worked out in there. Well, it, it, at least one. It was a wild week. Tyler, and not necessarily wild in a good way, but wild in the just you had a bunch of bizarre circumstances all playing out concurrently with one another, i.e. Lane Jenkins decides to take a visit to Illinois of all places. Like Coy yeah. on the text line said, bro really risked his career at OU for Illinois. Seriously? Skull emoji. Yeah. Yeah. Bro, bro, imagine going from committed to the University of Oklahoma and then going to Illinois. That's something he'll think about for literally the rest of his life. So you have that going on. Amidst it all, you have Zadavian Sims leading everybody on for an entire week only to pull an Oregon hat on Saturday afternoon. And you have Danny Okoye, who you very accurately said it last hour, Tyler. The, re- the, only, re- the only times we really talked about Danny Okoye is to tell people why we don't talk about Danny Okoye. So the kid that seemed like he was more averse to Oklahoma than any in-state recruit in recent memory – ends up taking a visit and really warming to Miguel Chavis in Oklahoma. So, yeah, it was a bizarre week on the recruiting trail. Yeah. Truly bizarre. I, and I don't – even with the Danny Okoye stuff, I don't even know if we're emphasizing just how crazy and bizarre and how surprising that is. Parker, if I would have told you, dude, I don't know, Monday of last week or early on, like at any point in this recruiting cycle thus far, Hey, there's going to be an elite prospect in the KREF studios talking about how much he loved OU. Dan, where would Danny Okoye? Danny Okoye was in the ref studios Friday right after the visit saying how much he loved OU and how much research he's done and all that. Like, it was an amazing interview. Everyone that listened to it came away super impressed. I just, I, I still can't believe that that happened it's on Friday. Truly, like, that, that's how bizarre it is. It is truly, truly astonishing and like if you told me that Oklahoma was even going to have a chance at any point in this cycle with Danny Okoye I'd have gone well they they dropped like a five million dollar bag or something because they were not moving the needle with that kid and it was not for lack of trying and boom in the span of a week and a half there's more smoke around this thing than there has ever been yeah all of a sudden OU's got some real momentum in that one and um wow did a couple of months uh, research on OU and this coaching staff and their past, and he reached out to Miguel Chavis. And, well, that whole recruitment has been rekindled and looks like OU could have a real shot uh, here for the four-star edge, Danny Okoye. It's just wild, completely wild. 405-651-3439 is the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line. I'm at the Newcastle Casino today hanging out at the Front Row Sports Bar where it is happy hour until 6 p.m., 450 Budweiser, Michelob Ultra Cans, 550 uh, well drinks as well. Come out to the Front Row Sports Bar here at the Newcastle Casino. More to come next right here on The Ref. Central Oklahoma Buick GMC dealers bringing you this hour of The Rush. Tyler McComas, Parker Thunem at the Newcastle Casino today. They've got the table games, the off-track betting, 2,500 electronic games, over 2,500 electronic games, most in the metro. 24-7 sports seems to have an opinion 
on the uh, rivalry games across college football that deserve a comeback. You tell me if I'm going to list off some of these rivalry games that have been discontinued. You tell me if you have any interest in any of these. First one mentioned, KU versus Missouri. Any interest in seeing that football rivalry again? Absolutely not. Same. means I would have to root for Kansas. I don't necessarily want to do that. I'm not rooting for Missouri. KU, Missouri, no thanks. What about Pitt and West Virginia? The backyard brawl. Didn't they play a really good game last year, week one? Yeah, they did. So, like, that, that one isn't dormant, is it? Like they're no. still no, um, also the my favorite part of that rivalry. There's not many things. Probably the only favorite part of that rivalry is that West Virginia during that game plays Sweet Caroline, but instead of bop bop bum, they say eat blank pits during that part, which is pretty cool. Whoa, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty sweet. That's pretty. I mean, par for the course for West Virginia. It's true. So I'm gonna I'm gonna lean towards no on that one. Pitt and West Virginia. I mean I'd I'd watch it. But it's better than Mizzou and Kansas. It's better than Mizzou and Kansas, but I I wouldn't care a whole heck of a lot. Uh I would love to hear you try and polish this one. I oh, didn't even boy. know that this was a rivalry. Is it? Maryland and Virginia. Really? That's what we're coming with, twenty four seven sports? On, on on the list of games that I could care I literally not any less about, I that's right there at the top. Like Maryland, Virginia, uh, maybe that's in a, basketball. That's 11 a.m. ESPN2 written all over it right maybe there. Maybe in basketball. But you said it. That's an 11 a.m. ESPN2 game if I've ever heard of one. Uh, the next one, and I think maybe this is a week one game this year. How about North Carolina versus South Carolina? Okay. There's some Battle intrigue the there. Carolinas. I like it. I like right, it. Shane right Beamer versus Mac Brown. There's intrigue right now. I don't know if historically there would be, but this year, sure, yeah. Yeah, listen, I'm I'm down for a little Spencer Rattler, Drake May showdown. Two of the top quarterback prospects in next year's draft class. I can get behind it. Uh, one of these, I don't think either side likes each other, but only one is willing to admit it's actually a rivalry. Nebraska and Colorado, which they do play this year. That's right, they do. Is that week two? Week two. First home game for Dion in Boulder. Okay. I that that's one of the games I grew up watching. Didn't they used to play the day after Thanksgiving? Yeah, uh-huh. that's what I thought. But yeah, I I watched some pretty good Nebraska Colorado games over the year. I believe it was a Nebraska Colorado game where, gosh, this must have been two thousand eight. Alex Henry hits a go ahead fifty seven yard field goal up in Lincoln, and then Endomican Sue ices it with a pick six. I'm nice. almost certain that was a Nebraska Colorado game. Uh. But, yeah, I mean, being from Nebraska and having grown up with memories of watching that football game, yeah, I'd be intrigued by it, but I understand if it doesn't move the needle for the casual fan. Uh, Ohio Sooner says all these rivalries are yawn emoji. Yeah, so far they are. Uh, Two programs that have currently fallen on hard times, Florida versus Miami. Any interest? (laughs) In terms of football, Absolutely not. In terms of the potential for shenanigans and perhaps an all-out brawl and social media beef leading up to it and after the fact amongst the fans and stakeholders of those programs, oh, absolutely. Like, it'd be a terrible football game. Yeah. But 
But they're like, not recruiting wise. Yeah, if, yeah. If, if somehow you could make the recruiting like a three hour ordeal, like a football game. Yes. 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 It's one of the more intense recruiting rivalries right now. A Twitter beef between John Ruiz and Billy Napier. Oh. I'm here for it. Or just show us um, the fights the two teams allegedly had at the uh, 2000 Sugar Bowl when they were playing each other. The, the year that OU played Florida State in the national championship, Florida and Miami um, played in the Sugar Bowl, and apparently like a night or two nights before the game, the two teams got in a fight, and legend has it, Parker, legend. that Miami won the fight just like they won the football game. Interesting. Well, I mean, listen, if I'm if I'm taking one school or the other in a fight in an overall sense, I'll go with the South Beach guys over the Gainesville ones. Miami has, yeah, we – who was that against Florida International that year? They got into an all-out brawl, and one of their uh, players was uh, <laughs> throwing helmets around uh, uh, during that fight. Oh Yikes. gosh, I, I don't actually remember that one. Yeah, it was it was bad. Oh, here you go—the most overhyped rivalry in all of college football because it's the two most overhyped teams in all of college. Oh, football. here we go. I know where this is going. Twenty-four-seven wants A and M and Texas to come back <laughs> on the gridiron. God. Uh, okay, I, so so my source here is Wikipedia, all right? So at least I'm acknowledging that. But the last time that A&M and Texas played each other in a top 15 matchup, a matchup of two f- top 15 teams, it was back in 1975. Wow. And granted, both teams were in the top five in that game, but it's been since 1975 since A&M and Texas played a game where both teams were in the top 15. This game has really never mattered. I don't know why people care about it so much. I understand that people in the state of Texas care about it, but nationally, it's the most overhyped rivalry because it hasn't meant a damn thing, but maybe once or twice in the two programs' history. No, it hasn't. And like, I, it's weird, isn't it? Because the A and M fight song disses Texas, and the yep. Texas fight song disses A and M, and so Correct. they have all this hatred for one another, but. In terms of what that rivalry has meant on the actual gridiron and in terms of national title implications, there haven't been any in any of our lifetimes, Tyler. And we continually make jokes about how it's been 84 years now since A&M has won a national title. And granted, it hasn't been that long for Texas, but that program has been in dire straits for the last decade. So, again, I feel similar to that one about, like, I feel about how I feel regarding Miami and Florida as it pertains to the Texas and Texas A&M game my feelings on those two rivalries are about the same which is I'm watching it for the drama I'm not really watching it for the football by the way a listener in the 806 says WVU Pitt is actually one of my top non Red River showdown rivalries if you if you ever end up at an event and you see two 20 something young ladies screaming eat blank Pitt (laughs) sir you have found my daughters Nice. Yeah, I'm going to guess if you're just, like, looking to party, Pitt, West Virginia would be, regardless if it's at Pitt or if it's in Morgantown, you're probably going to find a good time if your sole objective is to get absolutely hammered. That's the, Yeah, I mean, I'd love to know how many people in the stadium are sober. Probably not very many when Pitt and West yeah, Virginia Yeah, you're, you're in the minority if you're sober. Somebody in the 405 asked, can y'all get in touch with Grill Boy to put together an OU Rumors and News Twitter space Sooner Nation needs to vent? So, Travis Davidson, if you're listening, you've been summoned. There you go. 
Mike and Ardmore, you guys don't know the hate between KU and Mizzou. I know the, the hate between KU and Mizzou. I know the history of where the hate originated between KU and Mizzou when they burned down Lawrence, Kansas. I understand that there's hate between the two. I just don't care to watch them play a football game. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like the uh, the Sunflower Showdown, right, between Kansas and Kansas State. Oh, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of hatred there. It's a very bitter rivalry. It's just not a rivalry that anyone outside the state cares about. But I'll say this about KU and Mizzou. For, you know, the lack of entertainment there of those two schools playing football, it's at least had a more relevant game than Texas and Texas A&M has had since 1975. It's funny. I was about to say the exact same thing, Tyler. Like 2007, for all like what, KU was or Missouri was one and KU was like three. Like, at least there's been a top ten matchup in the past 20 years. Like for all the dirt that we've piled upon that KU-Missouri rivalry, we're only 15 years removed yeah. from that game <laughs> actually meaning something. Uh, last one on this list, by the way. Now we're talking. Here's here's a couple of blue bloods here. If you count Michigan as a blue blood, I know some don't. Notre Dame and Michigan. Yes. Yes, it's Lord. Good. Yes and amen. It's a, Two it's of the great, historic great brands. Game. Great uniform game. Great there. uniform Dame game. game. Two of the historic brands in the history of college football. I can get down with a Notre Dame and Michigan resurrection. Uh, from the 918 Farmageddon, Iowa State and Kansas State. Another game where... If you're just looking to get hammered and have a really good time, I will present to you Farmageddon, Iowa State, and Kansas State. Now, if you are a snobby beer drinker, Iowa State and Kansas State is not the football game for you. No, it is not. Get ready for two options, Bush Light or Natty Light. There are no other options available in Ames or Manhattan when those two teams play. From the, really from the 832, I bleed OU, but my in-laws are all Longhorns and my family is Aggies. I want that game back again because I love to watch them whine at each other over nothing important. Yeah, it's they're, they're going to have to squirm a little bit when they actually have to play each other instead of acting tough for the past 10-plus years. Uh, only sober attendees are those under the age of 14 at Pitt and West Virginia, says Sam and Edmund. That's a crazy atmosphere. Was lucky to attend when we lived there from 2010 to 2014. Pitt versus Baltimore is even crazier. I'm not convinced that the 14-year-olds are even sober at Pitt in West Virginia. I mean, maybe some of them, but not but not all of them. Hey, uh, Sam and Edmund, you know what's going to be a crazy atmosphere this fall? McAllister and Durant. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, uh, I feel like every OU fan is going to hop on Team Eric McCarty and ship out to wherever they're playing that game this year just in the hopes that the Buffaloes absolutely wipe the floor with Zadavian Sims and Durant. Uh, good point by Christie. Wouldn't mess with the 08 Florida team, though. They bring guns to fights and murder people. And Ooh, uh, turns that, out that that, took that, that a dark is, turn. Yeah, very dark turn, but very true as well. I can't believe OU Nebraska didn't make this list. Virginia and Maryland made the list, but OU and Nebraska didn't make the list. Like, did OU beat Nebraska so bad that nobody wants to see that game anymore? <laughs> is that what happened? Oh, man. I... Wait, 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 hang on, hang on. So it wasn't on the list at all. No, OU Nebraska. Like you didn't yeah. just you didn't just omit it because no. it was OU centric. Like it just wasn't on the list. Wasn't on the list. How? Maryland and Virginia was on the list. OU Nebraska was not. I I thought like I, I was under the impression all along that you weren't bringing up OU Nebraska just because you were trying to get outside the OU bubble for a second. But that's no, that, that's pretty inexcusable. I'm never trying to get out of the OU bubble, um, but I'm very surprised that 
it was not. I don't. Did, did one of the drunk 14-year-olds go in the Pitt-West Virginia game write this? I guess some people just don't realize that OU-Nebraska used to be a very relevant rivalry. I, I, I don't understand. But whatever. Uh, okay. Ohio Sooner says, okay, Notre Dame and Michigan needs to come back so I can root for Team Meteor. <laughs> yeah, who are you rooting for in that game, Notre Dame and Michigan? That's, that's a tough pick for me as well. Oh, gosh, I don't know. I would probably pull for Notre Dame because I hate Marcus Freeman less than Jim Harbaugh, but I, I wouldn't have a great time doing it. Uh, let's see, one more from the 405. LOL at OU Texas one year at our hotel. I watched a 12-year-old Texas kid drinking from his parents' vodka bottle right in front of them. Classy. Interesting. Well, hook him, I guess. 405-651-3439 is the Knipplemeyer Chevrolet text line. 12-year-old Texas kid drinking from his parents' vodka bottle right in front of them. Wow, what an OU Texas weekend. All right, more to come next right here on The Ref. We're the Homeless Cedar fans.